Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Obviously, the Jets know something that, you know, the people up here don't. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Dalvin Asario. Dalvin, how you doing tonight? Doing good, Joe. Doing good. No complaints at all. 90 degrees in the district, so it's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah, we are not going to talk about the potential of the Knicks trading Kristaps Porzingis tonight. Uh, but if it does happen, I will be fielding applications for a new favorite NBA team. Maybe move <laughs> over, join Dalvin Root for the Mavericks. I don't know. I'll be on the market, though. There we go. There, And we'll welcome you. We have, we'll leave a seat open in case, you know, Mark Cuban calls up Phil and says, hey, why don't you take the corpse of Wes Matthews for Porzingis? And we slap Porzingis in between Harrison Barnes and Nerlens Noel. Yeah, yeah. It's like so sad I can't even joke about it. So let's talk about something. Much more, much more happy, much less depressing. Jet spring football, right? I mean, That's more? right. <laughs> so we have officially wrapped OTAs mini camp. Uh, we did a little wrap up on the site about what was important, what was not important, the overall value of these things. Uh, mini camp wrapped on a, a generally positive note. Uh, you know, Christian Hackenberg played a little better, uh, which was sort of the main. The main talk of minicamp, Austin Zafarian Jenkins has lost 20 pounds, played well. These are kind of common reports that come out of spring practices. People are always in the best shape of their life. They're confident in the system. They're playing faster. Got to take a lot of it with a grain of salt. I mean, the Jets are obviously learning a new offensive system, so you hope everybody is comfortable in that. Uh, And it's just a young, young team who is very aware that they are largely being picked to be the worst team in the NFL. So... I don't think the Jets are going to be a very good team this year, but I do think they are not going to be a lackadaisical, lazy, painfully overpaid, hard-to-watch team like they were last year. At least I'd rather be them, see them be young, inexperienced, and learning on the job bad than just old, disinterested bad. So, you know, we're going to see. And that's going to make for an interesting training camp because nothing is you know set in stone at any position i mean this is a wide open roster pretty much across the board and you're going to have a lot of young players competing for a lot of playing time uh so you know who makes that final 53 and then who actually gets playing time i would say is way more open than it's been in recent years for the jets and i think that's one of the main takeaways coming out of mini camp i you know i think i don't want to get overly concerned or frustrated about injury news a guy like ardarius stewart who you know, 23 years old, comes from Alabama. There's a history there of people getting too many miles on them. Now is coming off two surgeries, missed OTAs, missed minicamp. Uh, that's a little concerning. Never mind that's been coupled with Chad Hansen also dealing with a knee injury. 
Uh, the Jets haven't been shy about continuing to add the receiver position as they signed Marquise <laughs> Wilson today. Definitely an intriguing, intriguing pickup if Wilson can stay healthy. He's the third most proven NFL receiver now on the team behind uh, Anua and Anderson. I mean, uh, Wilson was a guy who had almost 500 yards, was averaging 17 yards a catch a few years ago for the Bears, has encouraging size, and is only you know, 24 years old. So that, that was definitely a head-turning one. They also added Chris Harper, who has some experience and could be in the mix for a punt returner. Uh, at running back, they added Jordan Tobman, who will probably be in the mix for kick return. And, of course, they moved on from Decker and Harris, which we talked about at length. I guess, you know, with some of these minor you know, additions, how the reports came out about Hackenberg uh, and how everything sort of wrapped, what is there to take away, if anything, from spring football, Dalvin? Well, I mean, I think you, you said this earlier. I think you tweeted this out, um, or maybe like a couple of weeks ago, or maybe even a couple of days ago, sorry. Uh, you had said that if, if it's one of your favorite players, then spring football means everything. And it just affirms what you really believe, that, look, Hackenberg can be the franchise quarterback. And look, Jamal Adams was a steal at six. And the Jets absolutely made the right decision to replace David Harris with Demario Davis, blah, blah, blah. And if you don't like any of these players, then it's like, well, spring football doesn't matter. And then obviously vice versa if the players didn't perform well at all I think the one thing you can take from it is I think you're going to get a hungry Jets team and you don't like to point the fingers at people who are no longer there but the Jets team in 2015 was almost like the perfect storm right like you got the perfect season from Ryan Fitzpatrick a monster season from Brandon Marshall a really good season from Chris Ivory where he made the Pro Bowl and was second in the AFC in rushing behind Latavius Murray a really good offensive line season the defensive line was really good the secondary was great. You forced turnovers and then you missed the playoffs, right? Which is why it's so important to cash in on those seasons. So if 2015 was the perfect storm, 2016 was that like essentially imperfect storm. Like everything that could have gone wrong in 2015 went wrong a year later. That I think could be attributed a lot to the fact that the veterans did come in almost like, okay, well, we almost made the playoffs last year. So all we have to do is show up. I think this is a team that's been humbled. I think this is a team that has seen that turnover happen. I think this is a young enough team that where Bowles and McCagnon's fingerprints are all over it, right? Like there are very, very few uh, older players still left over from the past regimes, right? Like you see Mangold gone, who you didn't mention him. Ferguson left last year. Revis is now gone. Marshall's gone. Harris is gone. Honestly, Wilkerson may be gone in a year if he doesn't bounce back. So I think you're going to get a hungry team. I think you're going to get a team that is not going to be pushed over. And I think you're going to get a team that's brought in a lot of high character guys that aren't used to losing. So when you look at a guy like Ardarius Stewart, who's been banged up, and that I do put stock in. I worry about guys who come from Alabama in general. When you haven't practiced because you're too banged up, that worries me. But I also think you're, you're, coming, you're getting guys who are coming from programs where they're not used to losing. Alabama did not lose a lot, you know, when they were in college. Neither did LSU, neither did Florida. That's not their game. And so I think you're going to get guys that absolutely want to win, and they're going to do their absolute best to win. Um, a lot of people are sitting there like, oh, no, well, they're going to tank for the first pick. I, I don't think you understand how hard tanking is realistically. Like, you have to convince 53 guys to not try, to just, like, lay down every week and say, oh, okay, it's fine. This isn't basketball where, like, if you're the Sixers, the talent level is clear. This is football where every, any given Sunday you can win or lose a game. So I think you're going to get a Jets team that is going to scoff at a lot of that. They're going to play with a chip on their shoulder, and they're going to be better than a lot of people expect. Yeah, I, I don't think tanking is ever this sort of easy, straight path road that many people think it is because everyone on the Jets is putting out tape and they're playing for their next contract and they're playing for their livelihood and you can't walk through on the football field because you're not going to risk injury to yourself. So we, again, weird things happen in football. Uh, 
again, I, I always point back to this Jets-Ravens example from last year. The Jets just caught the Ravens at the right, right week when they were banged up. All it takes is catching a team at the right week, and maybe you beat a team that you shouldn't. I'm not saying that that's necessarily a good thing, because ultimately, in the long run, it, it probably is better if the Jets go 3-13 and 13 and pick first overall than if they go 6-10 and 10 and pick ninth overall. You can make some, what I think are fairly persuasive counter-arguments that developing a culture that wins a little more than it loses is beneficial, but... The Jets aren't just going to walk out and go 0-16. They're going to be competitive against teams like the Browns and the Jaguars when they play the Bills twice. They'll be competitive in other games, too, that maybe on paper won't look like they should be competitive in. Really, I do think that this defense could, could potentially be better than many people expect. If Sheldon Richardson does stay on the team and has his head on straight and the Jets figure out a better way to use their three defensive line, because Muhammad Wilkerson should be motivated by getting paid now because the Jets could walk away from this contract after this year without it being too uh, damaging to their salary cap. Sheldon Richardson's after a new contract. Leonard Williams is arguably the, the focal point of the team now and probably their best young rising star. So you have talent up front where you pay, if you play the right offensive line, you have a chance to potentially control the game. And then at the second level, obviously you're hoping that guys like Jordan Jenkins and Deron Lee could take the next step. And then on the back end, you're banking that Adams and May are going to be long-term playmakers for you back there. The Jets still have plenty of holes across that defense, but I could see if things break right, that defense being league average, whereas I think the, you know, the offense is probably destined to be a bottom five or ten offense. But if you have a league average defense and you play competent special teams, which has always been a battle for the Jets, you can find your way into more wins than expected. And again, I think the attitude around this team will be a little more endearing to the fans and the people following it. This will be a young team, a team packed with people who are between 22 and 27 years old looking to prove themselves in this league, not guys collecting you know, $70 million from the team and walking around in the field. So it will be a very different type of team than we saw last year. But I'm still very curious to see what, what turnout is like. Let's say the Jets go out week one. They're pretty competitive in Buffalo, but they lose you know, 20 to 17. They go out week two. Uh, to Oakland and they lose 35-17 like many people are projecting. So now week three, you come back for your first home game at 0-2. What is the crowd like at that game? Uh, what kind of turnout uh, comes out for that? And if it's really bad, does Woody Johnson get, get a little antsy or get a little concerned that his home opener yeah. you know, is a third of the way full? Now, I, credit to the Jets for coming up with a, a new creative policy to get people into the building. They basically rolled out this boarding pass app where you get the app, you can buy tickets at as low as $75 and you get placed in different seats for every game. There's been some backlash to this from some fans. I think this is a smart, progressive idea from the Jets uh, because the secondary market's not going anywhere. So maybe this finds a way to get more Jet fans in the building uh, on the incentive of potentially getting moved around the stadium at an affordable price. So I, I guess my question for you, Dolman, is what type of environment are you expecting at Jet Games this year? And what did you think about this boarding pass initiative? Uh, well, the boarding pass initiative first. I thought it was actually a pretty cool idea, and it and it kind of surprised me that it took this long for a team called the Jets to come up with something to do with like a boarding pass or whatever. Right? Like that was kind of surprising. 
Um, but no, I mean, I think it's I think teams are going to see more teams try to be innovative, especially because of the secondary market and secondary apps like StubHub and SeatGeek and GameTime and all these other apps that just make it really, really easy for like, OK, yeah, I was going to this game, but now I can't. So let me just sell it for, you know, maybe two times face value if it's a high marquee game. So, I mean, honestly, kudos to them for trying to think outside the box. And I'm sure like this is just step one. You want to improve on it. I'm sure they'll come up with some really, really dope ways to, in- to integrate uh, boarding pass specific content for fans going forward. Um, with the atmosphere in the stadium, honestly, I think it's going to be fine. I, I don't anticipate. It's just so weird, man, because I think the, the you're going to get a bunch of young guys that you can root for that you're hoping can stay with this team long term. So I would hope that the fans would be supportive and all that. But this is a fan base that turns on their young players really, really quickly. So I'm, I mean, I part of me wants to say that I think it's going to be okay because I do think that a lot of people kind of understand what this year is about. The, the one thing that does worry me is that when you have such a polarizing player at the most important position in the sport, and eventually Christian Hackenberg will take over, whether that's week one or week four or week eight, whatever, eventually he will take over. And teams, you saw with Geno Smith, you saw with Mark Sanchez, and this is Mark Sanchez not having a losing season through his first three seasons. These fans do turn on their quarterbacks very, very quickly. So I, I'm interested to watch how quick they turn on Hackenberg if he struggles, because I do think that one of the things that Christian Hackenberg has said very well is that he's been able to tune out the, the criticism, right? He's been able to block it out. But that's different than when you have 50, 60,000 people screaming and booing at you because you just threw an interception on a fly route or something like that. But I, I think, I mean, I'm hopeful that overall the, the, the fan base kind of behaves itself, I guess, for lack of a better word, um, because I do think that there's some young guys that are going to bust their tails this season to make sure that the product on the field is, is actually a positive one. want to remind you guys that this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official sponsor and partner of the New York Jets. Make sure you check out primesport.com backslash turn the Jets for information on all of their away game fan packages and fan experience packages for 2017. Make sure to give them a follow on Facebook and Twitter at Prime Sport. One more time, that's Prime Sport, official partner and sponsor of the New York Jets. Learn more at primesport.com backslash turn on the Jets. Dalton, here's a question for you. You're, you're more of a Hackenberg guy than I am at this point. Although, again, <laughs> if Hackenberg is good, I will be at a game this year. In a Hackenberg jersey, I'll get that picture out there. I'll be his biggest fan. Trust me. That's I would right. love to be so wrong about him and have him turn to the next Joe Montana. I'm here for it. But tell me this. I've, I've seen these conflicting – I see this conflicting dialogue among Jet fans. Mm-hmm. And uh, this discussion sort of came up around when the Titans had signed Decker. If mm-hmm. the Jets really think that Christian Hackenberg is their guy of the future, and if you as a fan really think Christian Hackenberg is the guy of the future – why are, you, why are you concerned or worried about tankings? You don't need a quarterback next year. You have Hackenberg. And if the Jets are concerned about Hackenberg's development, why wouldn't they do everything in their power to put the most talent around him possible? Derek, Eric Decker could have been kept for a fair money this year and next year. Mm-hmm. He's 30 years old. He's still going to be a good, productive receiver when healthy. If you want Hackenberg to succeed like the Titans want Marcus Mariota to succeed, why wouldn't you keep Decker around? Why wouldn't you maybe invest a little more, I don't know, in the offensive line or the tight end position this offseason? Why wouldn't you use one of your first two picks on maybe a skill position player to support Hackenberg and help his development? Why would you bother to spend $6 million on Josh McCown? Why not just go get (laughs) TJ Yates for $500,000, say, Hackenberg's our guy, you're going to be our backup, and to ensure Hackenberg is going to be good, we're going to keep Eric Decker around. 
uh, we're going to go spend some money on a tight end in free agency, or we're going to use one of our first two draft picks on a tight end or a big play back who could potentially take the pressure off him. Why doesn't it feel like the Jets are doing everything in their, their power to invest around Christian Hackenberg to give him every chance to succeed this year? Why does it feel like that they have come to the grips that they want to potentially have a top five pick next year because it's a loaded quarterback class, and that's when they're going to get their quarterback of the future? Who? Um, you know, so part of me... Part of me agrees with that logic, that I think that the Jets are very aware of the kind of quarterback that they have. And I think that the Jets are kind of hedging their bets, so to speak, right? Because they did, sure, they cut Decker, but they also drafted two receivers in, in this draft. And they have Quincy Anua. They still have Robbie Anderson from last year. They saw that Robbie Anderson could produce in this league. They saw the same thing from Quincy Anua, Safarian Jenkins. They added Jordan Leggett. They added a running back late, too. The offensive line is solid. You know, it should be good. Um, so part of me does subscribe to the theory, like, okay, why did you get rid of his best receiver in Eric Decker, who would have been cheap and isn't an ego and isn't a head case and you don't have to worry about that. But part of me does believe that the Jets clearly understand, and again, maybe this is me giving them more credit than they, than they deserve, that there is a clear gap between Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, yeah, Allen, Rosen, and Darnold, and Christian Hackenberg, that there's a clear gap. And I think that the Jets do believe that, at the very least, if Hackenberg hits, but they don't win games, they have their quarterback and they can add another top-flight talent to this rebuild. If he struggles, then they have their chance to go and get the quarterback that they want, whether that's Allen Rosen or, or Darnold or even, even Lamar Jackson or whoever. Um, I, think that, I think that it's interesting because I – so my, my belief on Christian Hackenberg is that the mechanic issues for him – are going to be very, very hard to overcome, right? I think they're going to be super difficult. I think that once you start seeing ghosts as a quarterback, it's very hard to get rid of that. I will say, though, that one of the things that does make me a little bit more optimistic is the fact that I've seen Jeremy Bates get top 10 offensive, offensive seasons from really, really inaccurate quarterbacks. Josh McCown was a bad quarterback. Jay Cutler, at the time that Jeremy Bates got him, was a bad quarterback. And the, they have these bad habits, like their footwork is off. They're, they're leading with their body instead of being arm throwers. Those are the things that usually worry me. It's kind of why I really wanted to see Jeremy Bates with a much more talented younger quarterback like a Deshaun Watson or a Patrick Mahomes. However, I think with Hackenberg, I think the Jets are going to see what they have in him, but they're not married to the idea that he's going to be the guy next year. So in turn, they don't want, they don't want to saddle their team with guys that won't be here long term. The guys that are going to be here long-term are Quincy Anula, are Darius Stewart, and Chad Hansen. Those are probably going to be the guys. And those are the guys that he needs to develop with, and those are the guys that he needs to get better with. So removing Decker from that, I mean, because then the argument then becomes, well, why didn't they just keep Brandon Marshall too, right, for all that? And Marshall, like, you weren't going to keep two 30-plus receivers here on a team that wasn't going to compete for the playoffs. It just didn't make sense. So the Jets made a decision to go young at the receiver position and go with their young quarterback. And I think it makes sense because that's, that's who you want him to develop with. You don't want him to develop with veterans that are no longer here. Plus, veteran pass catchers are usually very finicky if they don't get the ball. And I know De I said it earlier, Decker doesn't have much of an ego. But you have to force feed those guys. That's usually how it works. Same thing with Brandon Marshall. You don't want a young quarterback getting exposed to that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Jets offense potentially develops this year and who – ends up being the focal point and how the targets are divided up. You know, you would think going in that 
guys like Anuon Anderson are at the you know the top of the pecking order, and then you you know work down in the passing game to Powell and Forte and keeping them involved, and then how does a guy like Safarian Jenkins or Leggett or Stewart or Hanson or anyone else at receiver that they end up rolling through you know fit into that mix and. And how, how pass heavy is this offense in general? Are they going to try to lean on the running game as much as possible? Is that why they, you know, decided, decided to stay with Matt Forte, despite him being a little out of place on this roster? But it will be interesting to see how those targets uh, are divided up. And basically, that's it. Uh, you know, the Jets now will be off for a few weeks, uh, about a month. Uh, training camp starts July twenty seventh. Uh, from what we understand, Sheldon Richardson is still on the trading block. I'm curious if that ends up being something that happens at the trading deadline in season and he does start the season on the roster. But there shouldn't be any other major you know, news breaking for this team. Maybe they add a veteran fullback. We know they've been looking at Zach Lyme. But the team they have now is probably the team that they will go into camp with for the most part. And then maybe we'll see a few tweaks before the first preseason game, which is going to be here before you know it. So you know that that's kind of where we're at right now. It was a relatively relatively quiet offseason uh, in terms of free agency and we've gotten through many camp and OTAs without any major injuries or anything so I guess Dio how, how are you feeling overall heading into the summer well I think we lost Dio there but I could assure you that I'm sure he's feeling oh there, oh, oh, there he is wait there he goes sorry about that no I was saying that for me um, I'm always, summer's usually better when the Jets draft guys that I want. So two summers ago, they gave me Leonard Williams and this year they gave me Jamal Adams. So I think it's going to be fine. Um, I think I'm excited to see the defense come together. I know a lot of Jet fans have high hopes for, for Mr. Lee, uh, the middle linebacker, but I'm not really sold on him. Um, but there's a lot of young guys that I'm really interested in seeing. I'm interested in seeing the offensive line gel because I think that's going to be good. And I'm really excited to see guys like Elijah McGuire and Dylan Donahue and Jordan Leggett and just the receivers because it's, it's this is a very, very deep and young receiving core. Very different than, than we've had in a really, really long time. Usually it's veterans that are manning the receiving position for the Jets, but this is the first time that I can remember in a long time where you see nothing but young guys. And so that's kind of exciting, I think, to see. Um, and you get to see if, if Christian Hackenberg is actually as good as a lot of these people say he is. I don't think he is, but I mean... I'm excited to see if, if, if I can be proved wrong because I, too, will be in a Christian Hackenberg all-white jersey at some whiteout if, if exactly he proves to be what everybody thinks he is. Um, so I'm feeling good. I think the team is going to be good. I think Bowles is going to do a really good job. Um, I think there's things that he realizes he needs to fix. And once, once we kick this thing off, that's the thing. Once we get through the summer and kick this thing off, I think all the hyperbole and all the other stuff ends and we can really see what's what. All right. Before we wrap, we're going to throw it to Scott Mason for a preview of this week's Play Like a Jet Make sure to follow Dolbin on Twitter at DA underscore Sario and uh, check out all his writing on TurnTheJets.com. Thanks, Dio. Sir. And we are back with Scott Mason, host of Play Like a Jet, our newly launched podcast on Turn the Jets Digital. We have episode four coming up this week, which is actually part three of an interview with Nicholas Dodoff, who is the author of Collision Low Crossers. This is a must listen, guys. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes. Make sure you leave a review. Uh, this, these have just been... Really just terrific in-depth looks at Jets history and giving you a behind-the-scenes look at what has really gone on in this team on some of the more interesting seasons. But I'll throw it to Scott now for a little more info on what's coming this week. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, this week we're going to get into part three of our sit-down with Nicholas Dowdoff, the author of Collision Low Crossers, who traveled with the Jets behind the scenes for the entire 2011 
calendar year, more or less. Uh, the first two parts available on iTunes. If you haven't checked them out yet, please go and listen. Lots of great stuff in there. You don't want to miss out. You can also check them out on the site, turnonthejets.com. What are some things you're going to hear about this week in part three? Well, for starters, Plexico Burris. Why was he such an enigma and perhaps a little bit of a disappointment as a player in 2011? Talk a little bit about, or at least I'll talk a little bit about, the dust-up between Darrell Revis and radio legend Mike Francesa. He's number one, folks, WFAN, after Darrell Revis had a controversial play against Brandon Marshall when the Jets played Miami and Francesa called him out on it on the air. They got into a tussle. It was interesting. We'll talk about it. What did Nicholas think was the biggest reason that the Jets failed in 2011 despite sky-high expectations? We're going to talk about that. Tim Tebow. Of course, how could we not talk about the famous Tim Tebow game? And which coach does Nicholas Dalladoff think deserves another chance more than any other coach that was on the staff in 2011? I'll give you a hint. That particular coach is out of work right now. Who knows when he'll be back at work. But you can listen and find out who that coach is this Friday at TurnOnTheJets.com and on iTunes for part three of our 2011 series with Nicholas Dalladoff, author of Collision Lacrosses. You don't want to miss it. Trust me, it is going to be tremendous. And if you're a fan of Jets history, as Joe said, you want to make sure you give it a listen. All right, Scott. Uh, thank you for the preview for this week. That will be on iTunes and on our website this Friday. Make sure to follow Scott on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at JCaparoso and to stay with us at TurnOnTheJets.com for coverage all week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Oh, and of course, I keep forgetting to shout out the merch store now. We have, we have it up and rolling. TheLoyalist.com backslash TurnOnTheJets. Make sure to check that out. We will have a weekend sale going up with a couple of new designs this weekend. So stay tuned. Uh, and we'll be back next week with a new episode. Thank you, everybody.